Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Celentano, our business editor, Sharp Smith, our technology editor, and Jim Fryer, our managing editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. The 2022 Volume 3 issue is available now. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com intelligence. Well, Mr. Salantano, you are first up, and I think you're going to discuss Bell Canada. We're talking Canada today, Leslie. Um, yes, I had an article this week on Bell Canada. Um, actually, it, it um, covered what the company had indicated in its uh, second quarter earnings call back in August, that they're on an accelerated network expansion, and they've upped their capital expenditures to a high level um, over the past well, this would be the third of, of a three-year cycle. Um, since 2020, they have invested over $10 billion and, and are, are planning to spend uh, $3.7 billion uh, alone in, in 2022. Uh, the company says that this is the highest amount ever by a Canadian telecom company in both a single year and over a three-year cycle. And uh, with these investments, they're pushing fiber to the home, uh, building out their 5G wireless network, and expanding into our rural and uh, remote communities. You know, Bell Canada is a uh, part of BCE, um, uh, which uh, manages uh, a really a three-part conglomerate in wireline, uh, wireless, and in media. <clears throat> and the, uh, the CapEx that's been allocated um, um, uh, for network expansion in the second quarter uh, totaled uh, uh, $875 million, of which... Uh, uh, two thirds have gone into wireline, their fiber to the home projects, and another uh, 200 over 200 million went to wireless. So um, now they're on this um, this uh, this ramp to build out their net network uh, in parts of the country as quickly as they can. They've introduced what they are referring to as 5G plus uh, in uh, Toronto and parts of southern Ontario. 5G plus is uh, what they are calling the next evolution of 5G that's using the 35 megahertz spectrum that uh, the company won in the um, in the um, uh, federal auction uh, last year that, that we covered. And uh, this by the end of this year, they expect to cover about 40% of the Canadian population with 5G+, plus, and that includes the greater Toronto area, Halifax, uh, Nova Scotia, St. John's, Newfoundland, and then Sherbrooke, Quebec. And... Um, they also announced the um, the upcoming rollout of nationwide 5G standalone core. Uh, up to now, they've been sharing the um, their core network with 4G LTE. And Rogers is the only company in Canada with 5G standalone, but uh, Bell will be coming out with that as well this year. So, uh, the company serves um, you know about 9.6 million subscribers, and um, 
you know, that that has continued to increase. They've grown their service revenues uh, about on about a 1% per quarter uh, compounded growth. And, um, you know, so this investment is paying off. I just will add, though, you know, we covered the extensive uh, 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 Rogers network outage that happened uh, in the middle of the summer. Uh, it was interesting that Mirko Bibic, uh, the uh, BC president and CEO, said uh, he tried to distance Bell from, from that problem, saying that, you know, Bell's wireless and wireline networks use different network architectures and are configured such that major disruptions on one network won't affect the other. And so he um, he tried to make clear that not all networks are the same. And uh, if our competitor fails, we're not going to fail. So I thought that was an interesting uh, sidebar. But uh, yeah, no, Bell's doing doing uh, good things, and uh, we'll continue to follow them. Well, thank you, John. That was really informative. Mr. Sharp, you're up next. I think you're going to talk about a lawsuit. I am. But first, I'd like to comment on... Uh on Bell's use of the, uh, the term 5G plus. It seems like everybody, if they add some little bit to their, to their product, it gets a plus sign now. So I now am uh, officially announcing that I will be referred to as Sharp Plus <laughs> from now on. Um, Making you extra shiny. <laughs> yes. Extra sharp. Extra sharp. Uh, uh, this, this week's uh, story is about uh, uh, the uh, Lemley's uh, filing a lawsuit against, against uh, Apollo Global, which was purchasing uh, parallel infrastructure. The acquisition happened in August. Palastar Capital, which owns Harmony, acquired parallel infrastructure from Apollo. And, uh, uh, and at the time, uh, the uh, uh, Omar Jaffrey, who's the founder of Pulse, uh, Palastar, uh, made some comments that he uh, was going to deploy in excess of $1 billion dollars in equity and debt financing to promote the expansion of the, of the business. The document that I saw, which was filed at, uh, in the uh, uh, Delaware's Chancery uh, Court, the complaint was highly redacted. Uh, so I, I got really my first experience trying to read a redacted uh, uh, document and reporting on it. Not a lot of details were left uh, blank, uh, but uh, in the uh, complaint, Lenley's alleges the sale of parallel infrastructure to Harmony Towers will violate the terms of the membership interest purchase agreement, which was signed as part of the sale of Lenley's telecom to Apollo, and it would cause them irreparable injury. And uh, without knowing what that, <clears throat> that agreement says exactly, uh, the, uh, the, only, the only thing that I can come back with is that uh, there must be some economic interest that, that Lendley's continues to have in these towers uh, or 
uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure why it would be uh, worried about how, how the, uh, the tower is going to be uh, uh, managed uh, by Harmony. So when the, uh, when the complaint states that Parallel is encumbered, uh, if Parallel is encumbered with secured debt, giving its uh, lenders priority rights, uh, this proposal creates legitimate concerns for Lendlease's ability to enforce its rights. So, uh, so Lendley still has some type of interest uh, in the uh, in the towers, and uh, uh, and they uh, by some some stretch of the imagination that uh, uh, that Harmony is going to uh, uh, do something business wise uh, is going to. Uh, uh, impact Len Lisa's uh, uh, rights. So perhaps uh, when this thing all gets figured out, we'll have some more idea exactly what, what, the, uh, what those rights were, are, and we'll see if the court uh, recognizes it. But in the meantime, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the pending sale of Parallel uh, from Apollo to Harmony Towers has been put on hold. We know that much for sure. And uh, so we'll have to uh, watch this uh, as, it, as, as it goes to the courts. Interesting, very interesting. Thank you, Sharp. So the F at the FCC meeting on Thursday, they were about to go into their first item, uh, about orbital debris, but um, Chairman Rosenworcel wanted to talk about Hurricane Ian. She said the FCC has been reaching out to carriers, this is a quote, encouraging, encouraging them to make roaming available, unquote, in areas affected by uh, Ian, especially in Fiona. Um, she said after the uh, after the meeting, she told reporters that uh, commission personnel who spent the night uh, in Sarasota, Florida, with a fire department, um, they were trying to keep communications going after the hurricane hit Florida. And we had reported that one of the actions the commission took ahead of the storm's landfalls was sending agency personnel to Florida and Puerto Rico. Commissioner Brendan Carr said that was one thing the commission did to improve the voluntary wireless resiliency framework. Rosenworcel shared with her colleagues in June draft rules to improve the reliability and resiliency of wireless networks during emergencies. The changes would order carrier participation in that framework, right now it's voluntary, and it would mandate roaming during disasters. During the meeting, CAR encouraged wire, uh, mobile wireless carriers also to enable roaming Said He said, you can have a cell phone on one carrier that has essentially been bricked out if that site tends to go down, but then you can get another form of coverage from another carrier. As our regime continues to roll out, he meant uh, referring to that resiliency framework, uh, I would encourage carriers to move quickly on requests where roaming in an emergency is possible, where the early hours are vitally critical. Rosenworcel and Carr said that their trip last September to Louisiana after 
Hurricane Ida informed their latest actions. Officials on the ground in Louisiana described how network outages impacted their ability to respond to calls for help. Um, that was during and in the aftermath of the storm. During that visit, public safety officials advocated for a more seamless approach to roaming during disasters. And that brings me to Mr. Jim. Let, let me let me just comment. Oh, on, sorry. If I may, Leslie, this yeah. is very interesting because the premier of Nova Scotia had similar complaints about lack of coordination between the carriers in as as. Nova Scotia was um, trying to recover from the hit it took with Hurricane Fiona. And, um, you know, there seems to be, even though they all, all the carriers say, yeah, 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 we're, we're in, we're helping, we're trying to do the best we can. There seems to be a disconnect somewhere between them talking to each other or working in tandem or like, like Commissioner Carr was attempting to do, get them to to accept roaming, you know, of the other other subscribers, uh, other carrier yes. customers, um, so it's it's not a unique issue to to what's happening here in the U.S. Uh, we're seeing uh, similar strains and discussions going on to try to make sure, even though these carriers are competitors. That in time of disaster, that they they get in in lockstep with each other and try to do the best they can for the people that are affected. I remember uh, after the hurricanes in Puerto Rico last year, Chairman Pai went there and it was knocking heads together practically to get the utility people, the repair crews, and the carriers yeah. Yeah. to work in parallel on restoration instead of people not checking what's been repaired and making new fiber cuts and cutting off communications again. And, and I noticed after, uh, ahead of this hurricane, um, Ian, and, and for Fiona, the FCC has begun putting out notices um, saying, basically, don't do that. Check to see wh what's underground before you start digging just yeah. radically, yeah. you know, Roman, yeah. Yeah. So it's a good it's a good thing to try and get everybody in lockstep. And, and, and that's the purpose of the wireless resiliency framework is to get everybody to cooperate before, mm -hmm. during and after a disaster. And it's, I think, a good thing. They're going to make it mandatory. So, yeah. Um, now, Mr. Jim, you're going to you're going to finish us off with a great feature. Yes, I hope I hope nobody's eating right now because um, we had a story about the the turkey vulture, uh, who we've reported on several times, um, as as everybody out there knows, in in, in the climbing industry, uh, um, they are they are a very disgusting bird, uh, and my heart goes out to those climbing towers who have to climb through the 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 excrement, and and they also vomit these birds. Um, and on top of that, we've, we've run stories on how their excrement is corrosive to metal. Uh, it's, it's harmful to towers, you know, structurally, uh, not just, uh, cosmetically. Uh, so, you know, nobody's debating that these are, these are horrible, awful creatures. Um, however, I came across an article and I, we, I titled it in defensive Turkey vultures because it pointed out how, they are valuable to the ecosystem. And I thought, all right, let's 
being being a fair journalistic enterprise as we are, we, we like to tell both sides of the story. So um, I, I did point out that uh, this this study by this uh, uh, wildlife group um, said that they are obviously they're, they're they eat carrion, they eat, eat, eat dead things. They're, they're not uh, uh, hunters by any chance, like the osprey or, or some of the other. Uh, denizens of tower sites, but um, they'll just eat dead things, which actually is good for the ecosystem because dead things spread disease, um, which can be eaten by other animals, uh, and and that can spread disease. But when a, a turkey vulture devours something that's dead, they have such a pH balance in their stomachs and etc. that they can take all that in and they can process it, and when they do issue it forth again, uh, that it's kind of devoid of all that disease. So they, they do pre- prevent that to, to, to a very large extent and serve that, that uh, function in the, in the ecosystem. So to that, we are grateful. For everything else, uh, the turkey vulture is a disgusting bird and uh, we'd probably be uh, better if they found other places to nest or, or well, they actually don't nest they don't put nests in like osprey do. So that's the other point in their favor. They're not nesters. Uh, they lay their eggs on the ground. Um, but uh, nonetheless, they, they, they like to perch on, uh, perch on towers and uh, um, use them as their, as their own personal bathrooms. So um, that part aside, though, uh, you know, they, they still serve their functions. So there you go. We, we thought we had to tell the the full story of, of turkey vultures. Well, thank you for that enlightening, interesting story, Jim. You, you know, it'd be you know, it'd be good to hear is uh, uh, with some experiences that tower climbers have had when they've gone up a tower and they've encountered uh, uh, n- nature's creatures up there, whether they be turkey vultures or osprey or. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen a picture of a snake up on a tower, a few hundred feet up on a tower. So, yeah, I, I, uh, you never I, know what to expect, right? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure they encounter all kinds of things. And particularly with osprey and with nests, I think they sort of have to do like a, a full stop and they have to alert the you know, local uh, wildlife people. Quite right. It becomes, yeah. a, becomes a whole pain in the butt. I guess turkey vultures, you can just kind of try to shoo away. But uh, uh, when they start nesting in those, then that's, that requires a whole another uh, series of remedies that, that are, that are, can be time delaying, obviously, and, and obviously a, a, a pain in, in, in build out. So if any listeners have any stories of creatures they've encountered up on the tower that they'd want to share with us, um, feel free to email us. Yeah, I'd love to, we'd love to hear them. We can start doing a little, a little nature, nature corner. Uh, uh, set up in, a, in in inside towers. So, how about a how about a new uh, column, creatures on towers, <laughs> and how I got rid of them or something? Yeah, <laughs> some some climbers might take offense to that, but I don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that isn't kind of bad. Never mind. Yep. All right. Next. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. For a complete rundown of the week's news, check out our Saturday edition. We will see you in a week. 
Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.